Hey friends, Jen Amos here. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Filipino American Woman Project, also known as TIFA Project for short. If you're listening to this episode and you are a wordsmith, help me out. Send me a message at the Filipino American Woman on Instagram or even my personal account, the Jen Amos, and let me know what's another word I can use other than exciting. I mean, I just love using it because I genuinely feel excited whenever I do these shows. But anyway, as I said, I'm excited. And if you are interested in helping me expand my vocabulary, please message me. (laughs) Or actually, you can uh, see all of our contact information on our website, tifaproject.com. That's T-F-A-W, which stands for the Filipino American Woman Project.com. That's tifaproject.com. Or if you're just like, okay, I got to tell Jen right now, this is super urgent. I have so many other adjectives she can use other than exciting. And so if you feel that sense of urgency to get a hold of me, we have a phone number now. You can text message us or leave a voice message at, get your phone ready. Here we go. 415-484-8329 or TIFA for short. So once again, that's 415-484-TFAW or 8329. And I'll just say the numbers because sometimes people just like hearing the numbers. 415-484-8329. So help me out. Help Jen out. Help her increase her vocabulary. And I'll give you a shout out. And thank you forever. All right. If you found us on Instagram and you had loved being active with us for the last year since we started our podcast show, Nani and I have decided to invest more of our time in our newsletter, our free newsletter, which goes beyond the podcast and gives you more resources and stories and your contributions to our growing community. Uh, A little sneak peek if you haven't subscribed yet. Nani actually wrote the opening of the last newsletter and she opened up with this, which I, you know, to me it was like a love letter to our community. So she opens up by saying, you know, hey, I just wanna check in with all of you to see how you're doing. It seems like we've all been feeling the weight of the world with everything going on lately, from the pandemic to civil unrest, to events happening in our own personal lives. I know right now feels heavy, unrelenting, and overwhelming, which can make it difficult to stay present and feel like we're making an impactful contribution to this historic moment in time. So Nani actually shares a couple of tips for our newsletter community, our free newsletter community, uh, on how to just work through this pandemic, what you can do right now. And so if you are interested in getting more of our love letters and and maybe getting some words of encouragement and tips from us and how we are coping with this pandemic and working through it and adapting through it, please consider signing up for our newsletter. You can check out how to sign up by visiting the show notes of this episode, which you can find on tifaproject.com. Once again, that's tfawproject.com. Last but not least, this show would not be possible if it wasn't for our sponsors, which you can learn more about in the show notes of this episode, or once again, visit tifaproject.com. I like to talk a lot about the new web hosting service we have moved to because one thing I have found as an independent podcaster is that I just wanna work smart. I don't wanna work hard because doing these interviews and really being present with these courageous guests takes a lot of mental and emotional space. And so really getting our content out there, getting your story out there, we wanna work smart. And so we're very fortunate to have moved our web hosting service to Captivate.fm. And you can check out our sponsor once again on our website, tifaproject.com. And one thing I love about Captivate is that It takes out the guesswork in getting your website done. 
Essentially, just like any other web hosting service for podcasting, you can upload your episodes. The platform will help you distribute your episodes in many different podcasting platforms. And the best part of it is that it helps get a website done for you, all built in in the web hosting service. And so you can see an example of that once again at our website, tfawproject.com to see how our template looks like. And I hope in doing that, especially if you're thinking about starting your own podcast, to look at our site and think, yeah, I want to make my life easier by having Captivate help me put a website together. So if you want to learn more, once again, you can check out our website, tifaproject.com, and also see who else are our current active sponsors. All right, with that said, I am, one more time, excited <laughs> to start this interview with Anna Dugan. Just a little shout out to Anna and, and really to our active listeners and people who engage with us on Instagram. Anna has been tagging us on like everything probably since we started the show. And so it's just an absolute pleasure to finally put a face and a voice to the account on Instagram at Anna Did A Thing. Also, one thing I learned in this interview is that she is a fellow middle child like myself. So shout out to all the middle children out there. I see you, I validate you, <laughs> and you're gonna do great things. And you are doing great things. I just want you to know that in case you were a middle child like me who kind of felt like they had to be creative finding their own way of getting attention. All right, with that said, please enjoy this next interview with Anna Dugan. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Filipino American Woman Project. I'm Jen Amos. And as always, I have my incredible co-host with me, Nani Dominguez. Nani, welcome back. Hi, everyone. We are excited because every time we do an interview, it means that we get to, you know, chat with another person, another incredible person in our community. And so I want to introduce you all to Anna Dugan. Anna is a first-generation Filipino-American, a passionate empath, and an artist also known as Anna Did a Thing. She's also half Filipino and half white, and she grew up with a heavy Filipino influence inside her home, instilling an intense pride for her culture from a very young age. Anna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, it's our absolute pleasure. You are definitely one of our very active Instagram followers that tags us in everything. <laughs> And so now it's finally nice to get you on here. So I feel like this is an obvious question, but why don't you share, how did you hear about our project and what inspired you to be on our show to share your story? Honestly, I found you guys through Instagram. I feel like it was just through like connecting with fellow Filipinos and just doing a couple different jobs that kind of like led to finding more people within the community in the States. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of all that did it. <laughs> but I found you guys through Instagram. And I love the idea of this project. I love the idea of like highlighting stories of Filipino American women. So yeah, I'm excited to share. <laughs> yes, and contribute to the project, which is super exciting. So with this project, we identify Filipino American women as individuals who live or have lived in America that are of Filipino descent and identify as female or pronouns she, her. I'd love to hear a little bit about your family background, Anna. I know I already kind of spoiled part of it, but <laughs> let's go ahead and reiterate it and share why you identify as a Filipino American woman. Yeah. So my mom is Filipino. She came to the States for college when she was, I want to say 18. She met my dad like kind of classic story, like met my dad, fell in love. And it was like, all right, it's time for me to go back home. And he's like, no, that's not happening. So let's get married. Like you're staying. And I mean, it's been, gosh, 
over 30 years now for them. I think they're wow. celebrating 33 years. Yeah. Congrats to them. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I will definitely tell them you said that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so growing up, my mom, she was always, always like instilling the pride of being Filipino. Like she was always like, you are different than the average American. Mm. Like you have this other culture and we don't want to lose that. So, you know, we grew up, my brother, I have an older sister and a younger brother. So I'm the middle child. Girl, me too. I love it. Love it. That is, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah. So we grew up, I mean, my mom's, my mom's here. My grandparents actually ended up moving here, becoming citizens. And most of my mom's siblings are here as well. So we've had a pretty tight family unit that have lived closely in the States. So my grandparents, they lived with us for a while. And like my grandmother in particular, she was just like the biggest influence on me growing up. I mean, pretty typical, like powerful Lola status, you know? (laughs) Like it's a joke in our family that she's basically like Yoda. Like she was like the wisest, like kindest. I mean, back in the day could totally whoop your ass, but (laughs) like would never hurt a fly otherwise. Yeah. So yeah, just she had like the biggest influence on our like all of our lives, honestly. But between her and my mom, it was always like, you know, if we did something a certain way, it was always like, oh, well, this is how we do it back home. Like, I want you to carry on these traditions and whatnot, you know, things like that. And, you know, growing up with heavy on the Filipino cuisine, (laughs) which I totally appreciate, you know, the passing on of some recipes and you know, all that. And we would visit the Philippines when we could, you know, and like now as an adult, I try to go like every other year if I can, but just, you know, keeping in touch with family. Like it's always blown my mind as I've grown up and as I've been able to take in other families' experiences, how strong of a family connection that my family has. And like, that seems to be very typical of Filipino American families or Filipino families in general, that there's just a a pretty strong family bond and just a strong sense of unity within the family. Because like, you know, I grew up with like the one sibling that's actually still in the Philippines of my mom. She's my tita and she like, we're so close. And like, people would be like, how could you be close with your aunt who lives in the Philippines, that's like on the other side of the world. And I'm like, I don't know, like, I don't know, like, I don't know how to not be close, you know, but yeah. So we definitely grew up with like a very heavy cultural influence and just like constantly my mom would be like, you should be proud to be Filipino. Like it's something to take pride in, like to be loud about, it's something to be present with and to make sure like, it's something that is so part of your identity that you should be proud of. So I grew up that way. So I I feel like the first thing out of my mouth when people meet me is like, when I want them to get to know me, it's like, oh yeah, like, you know, I'm like half Filipino and like this, that, and the other. So like, that's kind of something that like, again, growing up and even into adulthood, like I've heard from multiple people like, oh yeah, you're my Filipino friend. Like you're like, especially on the East Coast, like we're, uh, there's not as large of a Filipino community. So like my sister, my brother and I, we were one of five kids, I think, in like our whole district. Oh man, Filipino. So, <laughs> were you know. born and raised in Massachusetts? Is yes. that, oh, that's really awesome. What's what's the vibe like there? Because I've never been there. I think it depends. It depends on where you are at. It, uh-huh. Like Massachusetts is definitely like very. I don't know. It's like it's very diverse, but there are definitely parts of it that feel very old school and sometimes not in a good way. Mm. But 
I live currently in Salem, Mass, where like the witches, the witch trials and all that fun stuff happened. Oh, hey. <laughs> I, I say fun stuff like very, very lightly, but uh, yeah, so I live in Salem, Mass and like, I love it here because it's like, it's super diverse and it's like, it's very inclusive and they have such a, they value like the arts and music, but on like a local level, it's not like oh, like we value like museums and stuff and that's kind of where art stops. Mm. They really value local artists and like what we contribute to our communities. So super- Yeah, I see you painting and doing a lot of like mural work across, like just out in your community, not necessarily like pieces that you sell or showcase, but like on buildings or fences. I love that you do that. Thank you. Yeah, it's- it really is a testament to like the North Shore area of Massachusetts definitely has done such a good job of like making the art community part of like the overall community, like making sure that our voices are part of conversations and like mm, obviously yeah. is perfect. Like there's definitely a lot that can be done still, but in comparison to a lot of places, I feel like especially within Massachusetts, things are getting better in that sense but Salem Salem and like the surrounding kind of uh, towns and cities have done a really good job of like creating this really this really great creative community that's very inclusive like sometimes sometimes in the Boston art scene it can be very intimidating and just very like oh do you just do that like mm. it, it's a weird vibe sometimes mm-hmm. where like on the north shore everybody that I've met at least has been like, Oh dude, like I love your stuff. Like, Oh, you do that. Like, Oh, I know a guy who would love that. Like, Oh, I like, there's a lot of like connections being made. Whereas mm-hmm. in the Boston art scene, it's really, really competitive. And like to the point where it's like, it's hard to make like artists friends. Even it's like mm-hmm. a lot of you're my competition when on the yeah. North Shore, I feel like that's really not the case. It's kind of like, we all kind of know, each other and like value each to other. make space for each other yeah, exactly it's like yeah. like we need to pull each other in or else there will be no space for any of us right so, yeah so I'm very grateful to be where I'm at for sure yeah for sure I also want to just give it to your mom because it sounds like she focused on instilling that Filipino pride in you more so than to like pressure you to really let's say, maintain the traditions. Like it wasn't just like, oh, you need to do this because you're Filipino or this is what I did back at home. It sounded like, hey, you just, you need to be prideful. And so did you ever feel, it sounds like you never really felt that pressure to like fully be Filipino, more so like, hey, just know that this is part of you too and be very proud of it. Yeah, that's a good question. I definitely, I've always been instilled with the pride. So it's like, Hmm. I think you're right that it's like, it's never been a pressure of like, you need to do this because of where you come from. It's like, I want to do this because this is where I come from. Yeah. It's not like a, hey, because I think this, this happens within our culture sometimes where it's like, it's not crab mentality, but it's like, you have to put the weight of this on your shoulders because you have ancestors and you have family members that are counting on you to do X, Y, and Z. So for me, it hasn't necessarily felt like that pressure or weight has been plopped onto my shoulders from my mom or my grandparents or anything yeah. like that. It's more like because they've instilled such pride in it, it's like, this is what I want to create work about. 
Right. Um, it's, I see, let's say like one of the biggest things that I tell people that like I'm trying to do on the North shore is creating more representation in, in public art for Filipino Americans and just creating just more like awareness and education about us. Because like, I know a lot of people, like I'm sure that you've gotten the same kind of stuff, but I know a lot of people that are like, Oh, you're Filipino. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. So <laughs> like, where exactly is that? Or like, how does that like I've had someone ask me like, so does that mean you're like, la- la- you're part of like the Latinx community? I had someone ask me, oh, so you're South African? And I was like, um, uh, <laughs> yeah, close not really, <laughs> not quite. <laughs> so yeah, it's definitely, it's one of those things where I'm like, I think a lot of people have this like like they're aware that we're a thing, but especially, like I said, where I come from, like there's just not a lot of knowledge about our culture. Like even within Massachusetts for a long time, there was like one Filipino restaurant mm. in like Quincy, Mass, uh, J and J Turo Turo. And like my mom, my sister and I would like drive to go, you know, and I, I can't tell you how many people I've like introduced to Filipino food and they're like totally game, but they're just like, oh, I have no white, like, not even a ballpark of what that food could even be like. Mm. So I'm just, you know, I guess I just, I like educating people on our culture and I like just bringing to light the things that our culture has to offer. Like I said, I'm just, I'm shocked that like there aren't more Filipino restaurants in the area. Like granted, I'm like, if anybody in the Boston area wants to make a restaurant with Filipino food, please, like I'm begging you. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Like I need more access. I will be your best customer. <laughs> I'm like for real. But yeah, it's it's just interesting. So like I said, growing up, it's like I didn't really see anybody representing who I am. Yeah. Um, and like I've met a lot of great Filipino people in Massachusetts, and I feel like it's like you know, especially in public art, I'm like definitely on the east coast I don't really see us represented on the east coast so I'm like okay if I don't see the representation why don't I create the representation Mm, that's Um, right that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at with with that yeah for sure what one thing that really stands out to me is that you've learned to use your culture use your Filipino background your Filipino side as inspiration rather than obligation you know, to show up to like do it because, because you're in debt to, you know, your family and your ancestors. It's like, I'm doing it because they inspired me because I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. And so what I, that's what I'm really taking away from like what you're saying. And I think it's just such a beautiful foundation to have. Yeah, I definitely, I I do have to give it to my mom for that. Like she, she's always been like such like, I can't even tell you, like, the pr- a presence of power. Mm. I mean, granted, sometimes, like, you know how moms are. Like, sometimes that power is like, <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> Not me now. Yeah. Um, but, no, she's always been that presence of, like, you don't owe anybody anything. Like, you do mm. you. You be proud of you. And, like, yeah. Like, my family has been known to be very stubborn, to be very, like, yeah, just very like, listen, like I do what I can do. And like, you know, we're very giving people, but it's never out of obligation. It's always out of no, like we want to do this. And like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because, you know, giving out of obligation is not, not that it's not true giving, but 
it's like there there shouldn't it shouldn't be tr- transactional yeah when you create something especially in the arts i feel like it's you know you shouldn't feel like you have to create something because you owe it to somebody else to do that mm. it should just be because this is coming from you like this is what you want to say to the world you know yeah yeah just that i think everything that you shared with us just now we can really see that through your art the way that you're you know inspired by filipino culture and how that has been translated to you through your mom and uh your tita back in the philippines and yeah i think it really translates well through your art and we can all kind of feel that love that you have thank you well, since we've been talking a lot about what you do nowadays anyway, let's go ahead and jump into your life today. For people that are getting to know you for the first time, why don't you share, I mean, given our interesting times right now at the time of this recording, why don't you share what keeps you busy and most excited about life nowadays? <laughs> you mean like other than like Netflix and like queso? Like, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, options are limited. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it is interesting because when this pandemic started, it was like, obviously, world comes to kind of a screech and everyone's like, okay, maybe if I stand still long enough, this will just go away. <laughs> um, right. And I am... I am such a doer that like, I have such a hard time not doing things. So like this kind of time frame is pretty rough. Yeah. Um, where it's like, I'm very like, okay, what can I do to either help the situation? Like not in like a, I'm going to fix everything, but like, what can I contribute? Mm-hmm. So this has been a very interesting time as far as pivoting and like, cause bef- so before the pandemic, I was doing a lot of, mural work a lot of a couple like illustration type things I I would like create stickers and like little things like to sell at I would be like a vendor at a lot of like festivals and stuff I do a lot of live painting Mm -hmm. that kind of came to a halt because a lot of the festivals and stuff that I was doing either vending or live painting or both at kind of got canceled for the year so it was like okay can't contribute that way (laughs) how how do I pivot and I started creating like a couple different like illustrations. I would do a lot of like work on my iPad and just do, just to kind of get out. I'm a bit like, we kind of talked about it earlier, but a huge empath. So mm-hmm. I'm very big on feeling what you're feeling, like create mm-hmm. through what you're feeling, no matter what it is. Like I know a lot of people, a lot of artists, especially on Instagram, it's so tough. Cause like social media is so curated. So it's like, I can't do anything doom and gloom because my color palette's pink. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like you kind of, you feel limited in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm very, very big on like, dude, if you're feeling, if you're feeling a way. Express like, yourself. Express yeah. that. Like, honesty is so important. And like, so I've been trying to be very like transparent about like the roller coaster and like the emotional whiplash that I feel mm-hmm. like I've been experiencing of like, I mean, minute to minute some days it's like, oh, okay, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And then I'm like, why am I sobbing right now? Because mm. it's like all of a sudden something hits you in a way. But yeah, so I've just been kind of trying to create content that speaks to that because I know that like I'm not, I don't experience life in solitude. Like I I know so many people feel the same kinds of things. And sometimes you need someone else to say that out loud in order to give you permission to say it out loud yourself or to mm, yeah. understand what's going on internally. 
So I was making a lot of content that way. And then recently, a lot of things have actually, a lot of opportunities have opened up because Salem, the city of Salem has actually pivoted themselves and like, okay, we always have a large presence of arts and culture. How do we pivot during the pandemic so that we can continue to economically contribute to the art culture and the art community in our, in our communities? So there's been a couple different things like the Chalk Art Saturdays, those have been really fun. And that's basically the idea of create, like they, so Salem and Claudia from Studio Full Design, they teamed up and they're actually paying and commissioning for artists, myself included, to do large scale chalk murals to inspire other people to do chalk art at home so that we're all creating art together but not physically together Mm. like that's so creative i love that so there are things like that that have been happening that have really helped me get out and like actually physically create work there's been a couple other projects that that have been really cool that and i have a couple projects coming up that are actually going to be really neat there's like a bunch of jersey barriers the little like concrete barriers lining our streets because restaurants can now open like and do outdoor dining Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of a lot of the city is actually compressing the streets and creating larger walkways so that restaurants have more outdoor space so that it's worth it for them to open. But they've lined the streets with these like gray concrete Jersey barriers. Ugly. Yeah. <laughs> People are like, like come take oh, these, make them pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so they reached out and they were like, hey, would you want to do some painting slash mural work on these Jersey barriers. So they're, they're definitely taking a lot of opportunities. Yeah. Um, We're seeing things as opportunities for uh, different parts of our community. So I've been very, very grateful and very lucky in that sense that creative opportunities, they definitely dipped for a bit, but now they're back up and they've just shifted. Like they've just changed what they look like. Mm. So that's been interesting. And like, I feel like in the art community, pivoting is nothing new <laughs> when you're a freelancer yeah. or when you're when you're someone that lives off of your creativity it's nothing new to have to be like what can I do like what else can I do like how do I continue creating for a living so it's definitely something that I think the creative community is smart about not immune to but I'm grateful that not only is the creative community kind of used to pivoting but that our leadership here at least has pivoted with us in mind. So still doing a lot of creative work. I've been doing a lot more digital work than I'm used to, but it's all been working out and it's been leading to other opportunities. So yeah, it's kind of interesting that this pandemic has led me here because I don't think I would have been doing some of the work that I've been doing had Mm -hmm. I not been semi-forced to (laughs) do work like this. So Yeah, it's been an interesting time, for sure. It's kind of a really good time, in my opinion, to be an artist or a creative who's trying to live off of, you know, creating, because right now is such a, what I think is going to be a really revolutionary time in history, and you 
the artists are essentially the ones who are documenting this. And we see that, like I said, I love how I even here in Oakland in California can drive downtown and on the streets, you know, everything is boarded up because of the protests and the riots and everything. But artists have come out and been working like day and night to cover those boards in like Mm. beautiful, beautiful art. And it's like the most beautiful I've ever seen Oakland. So I can only imagine what it looks like there for people who have been kind of painting the community that way, you know, since even before all of this craziness started happening. So yeah, I love that you're a part of that. And like I said, a huge fan of your work from what I've seen on Instagram. So I would love to one day visit and see it in person. Yeah, I would love that. I mean, honestly, I try so hard to be like, what specifically with public art, like, like public mural work, I'm always like, how can I put more Filipino representation (laughs) in this? (laughs) I love that. Sometimes there's like a brief and it's like, all right, like this is what the art's about, period, stop. Like you can interpret kind of, but like this is kind of what we need you to do things around. And other times it's like, do whatever you want. And whenever it's do whatever you want, I'm like, I'm gonna represent my people. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, of course. And like, I have gotten a lot of great feedback from people that are like, dude, like I haven't seen work like this. So it's what I think about, and granted this is on a very different scale, but it's like what I think about when, you know, you see these pictures of like a little girl with dark skin going to a toy store and seeing like a a doll with dark skin for the first time. It's like, Mm. oh my God, like that's me. Like, yeah, I feel something with this. Like, oh, I'm represented here. Yeah. Um, That's the feeling you want to give through your art as well. Exactly. No, that definitely translates, I think. Thank you. Thank you. I think my biggest question, Anna, is how'd you do it? How'd you become a paid artist? Because I feel like... (laughs) What's the secret? (laughs) Because, you know, I feel like, at least in general, if, if we were to generalize the Filipino community, you know like pursuing art is not really always considered a career. And so I would love to hear how you did it and how you continue to do it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So, oh gosh, let me try and condense this because it's (laughs) like, there's a a lot to it. There is a lot to it, but there's not, I guess. Mm -hmm. I mean, one huge thing is (laughs) I semi-tricked my parents when I was in college because (laughs) okay my first semester of college when I was a freshman I was going to Assumption College in Worcester and I was like I'm going for business like I'm doing it I'm getting a a degree in something that like I know I'll get work after something Mm -hmm. pretty generic because I couldn't be the lawyer that my mom really wanted me to be (laughs) I was like that's just not me but I'll, I'll do business and So (laughs) I did do my one semester, you know, I do well academically. Like I'm not like, I know a lot of artists will be like, oh, like I just, I bombed like a lot of my subjects, like in art is my passion. Like, no, like I was, I'm I'm, academically, I was doing very well, but I just, my heart was not in anything. And Mm -hmm. I took a painting class as like an elective, like fell in love with it and (laughs) without telling my parents, like I came home for winter break and without telling my parents, I had transferred into UMass Lowell and their art department. And the day before I was supposed to move back to Assumption College, I was like, Hey, mom and dad, 
um, <laughs> by the way, <laughs> change your plans. <laughs> and like, oh man, I mean, talk about like just the like the the oh my gosh, it was so bad. I mean, it wasn't like they were like mad at me. It was like oh my god like the worry was they were panicked yeah because they were they just didn't understand at first it was like because i was like listen i am gonna go for for art and graphic design i'm trying to sell it on the graphic design because that's kind of the more business side of the arts Mm -hmm. i'm like this is i'm like mom this is such like a a lucrative business like graphic design is something that i can be successful at and I can you know all that stuff and you know they did come around like they were like all right I get it like they were shocked because I didn't give them the option to like talk about it yeah but in the end they were happy for me they were like all right like you're pursuing what you want to do and that is what it is and like we know that you'll work hard we know that you will you know you're at least trying to be educated about what you want to do so you know college happens like that was great I ended up not not being a graphic designer like at all (laughs) I I actually ended up like I worked at a school for a while I worked at I worked a couple temp jobs and basically I ended up in like pretty basic corporate America like just like a basic office job in Boston Mm -hmm. and but I was always like kind of doing art on the side like just a little bit here and there And then I reached a point in Boston and I was like, man, I am really, really, really unhappy with what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, where is that girl that like did all this by herself and was like, Hey mom and dad, like, I'm going to pursue this. Like, where is that girl? Like she's, she's somewhere in here, but I'm not feeding her. Like I'm kind of like trapped in this weird corporate cycle because it's like, I got bills to pay. Like, I mean, like everybody else, it's like you get trapped in this world. And at the time, like my husband and I were talking and he was just like, dude, you're miserable at that job. Like whatever happens, like I support you in your decision. Like it's totally up to you, but Mm. let's figure it out. And I decided, I was like, all right, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to start working in a restaurant in Salem like just for like, just for money. Cause you know, I still got bills to pay. Those bills don't go anywhere. Right. <laughs> um, but with the time that I was spending like commuting to and from Boston, like, cause that was like a day, like it was like three hours a day of like mm. commuting between like, it was, it was ridiculous. Wow. Yeah. So, and then obviously you're at like a mind numbing job. I'm like, I don't want to come home after an hour and a half sitting in traffic and do anything creative. Like I got a dinner. Like I'm like, my brain is exhausted. So I'm like, okay, I am going to work in Salem and I'm going to use the time that I was commuting to do art. And we'll see where that goes. (laughs) One month into my restaurant job, that restaurant closed. Um, Oh, I was like, is this like... (laughs) The epic sign of like, nah, girl, you got to go back to corporate. Like, it was like, it was like, is this like God or whoever being like, <laughs> telling me I'm making the wrong decision? Wrong yeah. Place. So I was like, okay, we're going to figure this out. I'm like, okay, I'm going to give myself like X amount of time and I'm either going to find a job in Salem or I'm going to go back to the job that I was at. Cause I left on good terms and it was like, you know, they were open to having me back, thankfully. 
but yeah, it all actually ended up working out because I got a job in Salem just as like, it was, I'm like a project coordinator for a travel company. Like it's nothing too intensive that like my brain is fried at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the time, the restaurant that had closed, they had a sister restaurant called Gulu Gulu Cafe. And they felt so bad because they knew I left my job in Boston. And my mm. boss at the time, Erin, uh, shout out to her because like, seriously, like I was like, dude, you are my savior. <laughs> she She's like, I had no idea we were going to close. I would never have hired you knowing you were leaving your job in Boston if we were going to close in a month. Mm. She got me a couple hours a week at the cafe because they're like sister restaurants and they have chalkboards like all over the place. Hmm. And I was like, okay, I now have, I was doing a couple hours at this like little cafe and then I had a job and I, I'm not joking, it's right across the street. My job is right <laughs> across the street from this cafe. Oh wow. <laughs> I told myself, I was like, okay, girl, you are good, you're stable, you got this job, like you have this cafe that's like giving you a little bit of money on the side. What did you say you were going to do with your time? You were going to do art. So I was like, okay, how do you do that? Give yourself <laughs> a project. <laughs> so I made a deal with Erin, the woman who brought me over to Gulu. And I was like, listen, I've been wanting to do art mine if I did a hundred day challenge on your chalkboards and I started doing 100 days of glue and every day before my nine to five I would go into glue and do a different chalkboard for them every day for a hundred days and like that started to gain a little bit of traction like people around town were like oh like this is a cool little project like every day I come into this cafe there's a different thing on the chalkboard and it's like one out of 30 like 33 out of 100 like oh we're on day 62 out of 100 nice yeah, so that kind of got my brain going. It got a couple people around town being like, oh, she does chalk art, like, cool. When I was not a chalk artist, I was just like, what do I have available to me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and honestly, like, that's really where it all started was that one project that I was like, I need to put my money where my mouth is Mm. because it's so easy to be like, Oh, I now can walk to work and I can get up later and stay up later and like watch more TV and like do whatever. But I was like, what did you say you left your job for? Mm. (laughs) I'm like, what did you say? Like hold yourself accountable because if you don't do anything, you just made your life that much harder for no reason. Um, Wow. So yeah, I kickstarted with that project and then it kind of just snowballed from there. It was like getting really small chalkboard jobs and then just getting more introduced to people in the creative community in Salem. And then it's like, oh, there's this little opportunity here. Like, oh, there's someone over there is like, notice that you do signs, like talk to them about what they want. And like, it just sort of snowballed and snowballed. And that was like two years ago now that it just has continued to snowball until like literally today I had confirmed that Jersey the Jersey barrier job and it's like it's a pretty big job for the city of Salem so it's like it definitely it takes time but more so than time is that it takes accountability Mm. and that's like the hardest thing is like like I tell my friends this all the time, like when they're like, Oh my God, like you got a lot, like you got a lot of jobs to do. And like, like, you know, it, it's all this stuff that it's like, Oh, how do you, how do you do this? It's like, cause I, I'm 
putting in the work and I'm holding myself accountable. It's like in art school, it's easy to create because you're given project after project after project. Like granted, like, yes, you're learning how to be creative. You're learning what your creative voice is, but you're given work and you're held accountable by your teachers because they give you a grade at the end of the day. Right. When you leave art school, it's like you're the teacher and the student and the grader and there are no grades and like there's it's like no one's no one's gonna yell at you or like nothing happens if you don't do work nothing yeah. happens so it's so easy to like just be like all right gotta pay bills like gotta do that and like you get into this cycle and when you try to make a change and something happens like the restaurant getting <laughs> getting closed it's so easy to see that as like, okay, that's a sign to stop or like, this is a roadblock and like, I got to just go back to what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to do that because it's hard not to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, But sometimes it's like, I'm a big, (laughs) I'm a big believer in like everything happens for a reason. And like, there are things that happen in your life that I feel like are not necessarily roadblocks, but they're like guideposts. It's like, Mm. okay, like you bump a little bit and it's like, Oh, okay. Like it's leading me this way, but you just got to like trust because I have always felt like the more I have fought the things that are happening in my life to try and make it the way I thought it was going to go, the more disastrous it has been. Like, it's like, the more you try to control it, (laughs) the more uncontrollable it becomes. Yeah. Just letting go of that control and being like, you know what? I don't want to be in the position I am like currently in, but it's the position I'm supposed to be in right now because Mm -hmm. it's what's going to get me to the next position. I don't know how, but I'll figure it out. And like, just, you know, staying faithful that this is all part of a process is like, is huge. Cause the mindset does so much. Like if you really believe that, like, this is a sign to stop, it is what it is. Then you stop, you know, but yeah, like for me, failure in general is like never a stopping point. Like if mm-hmm. I fail at something, I'm like, okay, cool. Learning opportunity. Like, okay. Like I'm not there yet. And sometimes it hurts, but at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, like, how do I learn from this failure to bring myself success the next time or the next time or the next time? It's never going to be overnight. Like I said, that this process has been like two years of me just grinding, (laughs) like, (laughs) like before and after like a nine to five job of being like nights and weekends, like I will dedicate time, but it's like so fulfilling and just, I don't want, I don't even like thinking about like where I'd be if I didn't. If mm-hmm. I didn't do that, because I, I know where I'd be. I'd be back at that desk and, like, just miserable and, like, not really doing things to actually, like, fulfill fulfill myself, like, fulfill, like, what, I don't know, like, I don't want to say, like, what I'm meant to be doing, but that's <laughs> kind of what it feels like, you know? Yeah. So. No, I really love your faith in the process and just the mindset that you have that I feel like has just, at least in the last two years, really allowed you to like manifest opportunities and ways for you to live off your creativity. And, you know, that's not 
something that a lot of people are willing to take the leap and and try out and you have and it's been working out for you and that's just a testament i think to your talent and to your your passion for your for your crops so i like that you've been just kind of persevering through and not folding under pressure because like you said we all have bills we can <laughs> we can all relate to that so yeah i just want to applaud you for that thank you yeah and to add upon that i just think that what my takeaway from you sharing your story is that you know an artist has to treat you know their their creativity as like a business in a way as well like you want to treat it like a job or a business like you can't just be like oh i'm just going to create whenever I want, you know, sometimes it's like, you have to actively find those opportunities, especially just like what you said, you want if you want to get paid off of your creativity. Yeah, definitely. It's like, and that's, that's such a hard thing to do. As far as being like, you know, seeing your creativity as a business, that can be really difficult to do. Yeah. Um, Especially if like, Oh, if it's like, oh, well, what I want to be doing is that, but where I'm at right now is this. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm not willing to like share what I'm doing right now. It's like, this is all about growth, you know? So like, I have friends that are like, oh, like I want to be doing that. It's like, but you haven't done steps one through 99 yet. Like you can't skip from one to a hundred. That's just... I mean, maybe it happens to people. <laughs> I don't know who it happens to, but yeah, it's like, I love, there's like a quote that's like the only difference between like the professional and the startup person is that the professional has failed a thousand times at something the the startup hasn't even tried yet. Yeah. Like, that is the big difference is like, I, I mean, like even even the name like Anna did a thing that started as a joke between me and my friends because I was always doing something it was like oh god like what is she getting herself into now like because I can't I'm like the worst like when it comes to like sitting still or like you know I'm obviously like a huge talker like I just and one of my friends and I we were talking about one time how like I have this slightly delusional like yeah I can do that And like, I'll just try it because I'm like, if I can't, then I can't. But like, how do I know if I don't try it? Where like, like, you know, the average person will be like, well, have I tried this first? Or like, have I done this? Like, does that make sense? Like for me to try this, I'm like, just like, let's do it. Dive right in and like, yeah, work on it from there. But sometimes that's been my greatest strength is that it's like, I'm not going to let the fear of failing stop me from trying because I don't see failure as a stopping point. Like it's like failure to me is like, okay, guidepost. Cool. Like don't go there again. Or here's how to adjust to like make it there. But you can't, you you just can't get to where you want to go without being willing to fail along the way. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that's a beautiful life lesson, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) And there you have it. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to add upon, I do, there's like two things I think I wanted to mention what you said about like, you know, there are no shortcuts. Like you have to go through steps one to 99 to get to step 100. And for people where it looks like they made it to step 100 first, it was at the expense of someone else. You know, it was like, oh, because, you know, their parents worked, you know, it's their parents' business or my friends hooked me up with that job. But even so, 
like if you don't if you don't appreciate the hard work they 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 put in to get you to that place you're going to lose that place exactly. you know you're not going to appreciate it as much you know and so that that's something that i'm thinking is like you know there's some people that we look at we're like how did they get that like how did they get that job over me and it's probably because they knew someone or or what have you um, but even then you know it doesn't mean it's going to be sustainable you know it doesn't mean that they appreciate what they have they can lose it as quickly as they get it yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I definitely have seen, I've definitely seen it happen where like someone, like they ask for the shortcut. It's like, oh, how do I get involved with that? And mm-hmm. like, I'm more than happy to like introduce you to the right people or like be like, hey, like you do this kind of work. Like, yeah, like, dude, I, I know this person. They are always looking for that kind of work. Yeah. No problem doing that. It's when they get connected with that person and they don't understand like, oh, well, I kind of need to see work that you have done or like, yeah, I mean, it's, this is such a double-edged sword too, as far as like, I hate how in the creative community, there's a big culture of you have to pay your dues. Mm. Like it is very, very difficult to come into a creative like culture and be like, this is how much I want to get paid for doing this, this, and this, but I haven't done any of that before. Mm. It is very, very difficult to do that. So a lot of times within the creative community, it's like, you know, throwing freebies here and there, or like as you grow in your skill set, so does your price compensation grow. Exactly. And sometimes people are unwilling to do that. Mm. I, I, I struggle with it because I definitely think that artwork should always be compensated that I will say it should always be compensated but it's one of those things where it's like I see it as a trade mm-hmm. it's sort of like uh <laughs> you know if you're if your sink is broken you call a plumber because they've been educated in plumbing they know what they're doing their experience you pay them for that service if you need your taxes done you call your accountant and like they crunch numbers and whatever, or use TurboTax, I don't know. But like, if you have an accountant, you that's who you go to because they've studied this. They've, they know what they're doing. They have the experience. Mm-hmm. Now, can you go to Uncle Jerry down the road and have him do your taxes? Yes. <laughs> like, does he necessarily deserve the same amount that this other person deserves who, you know, has this experience in education and all this stuff? I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... I do always believe that the arts should be compensated as if it were a trade because too many times I cannot tell you how many times it's like, Oh, but I thought you just love this. It's like, I'm sorry. Does uncle Jerry love plumbing? (laughs) Like, do you ask ask him to like, like fix your toilet because of his love of pipes? Like, no. (laughs) Yeah. He can be very good at it. He can be talented. Like, I don't know why with the arts it's like talent equals passion equals you'll do it for pennies. Mm, For free. Yeah. It's like, you know, people's passion and love for what they do gets exploited. And it's that's where I get like, man, like what? Like, yes, I want the job, but like, I got to tell you that my work is worth X amount. And like, it takes a, it takes a long time to get to that point too, because like, I can't tell you how many times, like I've been running ragged doing jobs and jobs and jobs for almost nothing Mm -hmm. because I'm like, I just want to gain the experience. I want to put my work out there and like, this will be worth it. This will be worth it. And yes, now it is, but it's like, man, 
like at what point it's so hard to find like the tipping point of where you're like, okay, like my work is worth now this because you're so used to getting this. So that part of like the arts culture is very difficult, but yeah, it's definitely one of those things where it's like, there are no shortcuts through that yet. And like, you do have to, unfortunately, you do have to pay your dues right now. Like you have to pay your dues to be able to like, to be able to make money and like, I, I do recognize that it's like not everybody has the opportunity to do that. Like not everybody can be like, all right, I'll do it for free. Cause I have all these hours and like, you know, so it's definitely, it's, it's kind of a tight rope, a tight rope walk in a way, like balancing that out. Yeah, for sure. Anna, you are so full of wisdom. I love it. Like, I feel like I can talk to you another hour and just ask one question and then have you go off for like 15 minutes and just like, whoa. <laughs> like, that's how I feel whenever you're talking. I'm just like, I'm like, oh, like, you're like, I don't know if you guys watch Avatar, but they're like, dude, you're like Uncle Iroh. Like, you're. Oh. <laughs> I love it. The sage that's like, what is this? Like, this and this. And like, it's like, damn. <laughs> I, you know, I, I love it because, and I, I yeah, I, I just think, uh, I love it. I think part of that wisdom too comes from being an empath, in my opinion, because it's like you have to, you have to be very self-aware and you have to be uh, aware of yourself and, and the people that you want to get opportunities from and people you want to collaborate with. And, you know, it's just, um, it, it, there's just so like, if, if you're going to choose to be a creative and, and by the way, I just love your attitude of, of that art should be considered a trade, you know, not yeah. just like a, a cute nonprofit charity, you know, kind of thing. Like you should get paid for that. And I think that a lot of creatives, especially if they're new in the space, if they, if they're new and trying to build their own business should know that and should tell themselves that and make that the standard, like in their head, like this is a trade and I deserve to get paid for it. So thank you for saying that. I, I don't think I've ever heard it in that perspective before. I agree with that. And I also really wanted to emphasize your point about not being scared to try things out of the fear of failure. I think a lot of people can learn from your example of that because you're, you know, you display that clearly in your life. So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. I feel like there's a lot of people that are going to want to virtually circle around you to hear more about your wisdom, <laughs> hear more of your wisdom. Anna. And for people that want to do that, <laughs> how can they find you online? So I'm like most active on Instagram. You can find me at Anna did a thing. That's my, that's my username. I'm also on Facebook Anna did a thing. Same thing. I'm less active there, but like, I still have like some posts and stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I have my website, Anna did a thing.com. So that's so easy. So Anna did a thing everywhere, (laughs) Instagram, Facebook, and Anna did a thing.com. Easy peasy. I love it. Well, Anna, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on our show today. I think that your story is really going to resonate with all the creative panais out there. So I just want to thank you so much for, I mean, first of all, being engaged with us on Instagram and for finally joining us, (laughs) finally putting a voice, a voice to all those tags. (laughs) I know. I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm a psycho. Like I'm always like, okay, like what other like Filipino place can I like tag to like make sure people know like where they're at and stuff. And but then it's like it's like this or it's like who are you like (laughs) (laughs) no it's perfect it's perfect (laughs) (laughs) well now we know now we know who Anna is (laughs) yes you know yeah for sure well Anna thank you so much for joining us today we really appreciate having you thank you for having me yes and Nani thank you for co-hosting as always 
You're welcome as always. Yes. And to our listeners, if you want to get a hold of Anna and you didn't catch that information, although I think it's really easy, you can actually find her contact information in the show notes on our new website, tifaproject.com. That's T-F-A-W, short for the Filipino American woman, project.com. With that said, thank you all so much for listening. And we look forward to speaking with you in the next episode. Tune in next time. Bye-bye.